0: Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Ibopedia. I am your host, Chisom, and my special guest today is Obinna Obilo, Wall Street executive and poet, also known as Hashtag Igwe. He is a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania and he has an MBA from Wharton. Obinna is on the board of the Wharton Black MBA Association and he is also a board member of the Nigerian Healthcare Foundation. Today, we will delve into his life his career on Wall Street, and his latest published work, Memories of the Future, and of course, Hashtag Igwe. Obinna, welcome to the show.
1: thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: (laughs) It's great to have you on, and I'm really excited because we haven't had someone on the show who is a Wall Street executive and a poet, so I'm sure we'll have lots of good things to discuss now.
1: Uh, Well, listen, this is season two, right? So... This is that Now, now we get to be, you know, season two, we can go into duality, so I, I'm happy to be here as, as the first of my kind.
0: <laughs> Perfect, so let's kick off with a bit about you. Which part of Ibo-Land are you from? And also, I know someone has told me that you have just made a trip to the region, so tell us a bit more about that.
1: Sure, well, I'm from uh, Umuchese in Obolo, which is in Isiala Umbano, uh, Imo state. Nigeria. So uh, that's where my family's from, uh, in the east, you know, Okigwe North uh, zone, uh, for, for anybody who's into uh, lo- local, local politics in, uh, <laughs> in Nigeria.
0: <laughs> and you are on the board of the Nigerian Healthcare Foundation. So tell us a bit more about the work of the foundation, and what the foundation does to support healthcare in Nigeria, and how did this come about?
1: Sure, so the Nigerian Healthcare Foundation, NHF, was founded 20 years ago by my father, Dr. Levinus Obilo. He actually went back to Nigeria and really just seeing the overwhelming amount of need on the ground decided that he wanted to put something in place uh, to be able to uh, affect change. So the organization is a mission-based organization that's recognized by um, uh, the United Nations as an NGO. We medical mission work and provide uh, health care resources as well as other palliatives uh, to the most needy populations in Nigeria. Um, This past year given the limitations of COVID we weren't able to do a medical mission uh, like we have for you know countless years in a row Uh, so what we were able to try to do was raise funds uh, to give supplies on the ground palliatives uh, to to local communities, and, you know, you know, obviously with the restrictions that were put in place by the government, there are a lot of different needs that are being created by um, this this vacuum, one on the healthcare side, but also just in terms of the welfare front, uh, and so we were able even this past uh, Christmas season to provide food for ten different local communities.
0: That's excellent and such a worthy course. I'll touch on it at the end, but um, I will ask you how, if anyone's interested in the NHF, how to get in touch, if they want to donate, how to get in touch. But we'll save that good stuff for the end of this podcast. You, as I mentioned earlier, you are a poet, um, and I'd like to understand a bit, where did your passion for writing come from?
1: Interesting. So I want to say that I started writing when I was four or five. I used to have a blue notebook where I wrote, just anything, um, different words, uh, the capitals of, of all the countries in the world and all the States in the United States. Uh, my mom and I used to play a game, like where we would just spell words. You know, I think we had a, a thesaurus or a dictionary and would just see words and, and spell them, you know, so I always had a close affinity for books and writing, you know, that passion was nurtured from a very young age. You know, I, I think I, I got into writing poetry and uh, spoken word poetry at a much later date, which was in college. And uh, it was spurred by, um, you know, a number of conversations, and we can go into it, but a number of conversations with friends who really encouraged me and, and, and pointed me in the, in the direction of, of spoken word as an avenue for me to be able to express myself and express my thoughts. You know, I'm I'm thankful that that I actually took heed of it and that, you know, what I've shared thus far in my life have been things that have resonated with people.
0: So in line with trying to find out a bit more about you, I have a small game to play. Um, This is called Desert Island Recommendations. Here's a scenario for you. You are stuck on a desert island in the middle of nowhere, uh, but you're allowed to take a couple of things with you. First topic is books. Which books would you take with you on this desert island?
1: Okay, so I'm on a desert island. Now, being on a desert island, as opposed to being somewhere else, uh, may impact which books I would bring with me, but uh, I'll I'll focus on books that are amongst my favorites. Uh, So I would likely bring 1984 by George Orwell. Uh, It is the book I've read the most amount of times uh, and it, it, uh, you know, even, even though it's, a, it's, it's a bit dystopian, it's, it's, well, it's very dystopian, um,
0: <laughs> you know, there,
1: there's something in the message, uh, about being able to, to still challenge thinking in the way that the world presents around us that I've always resonated with. Uh, and so I guess, you know, if I'm stuck on a desert island, I, I would definitely want to challenge my mind to think about. Ways to get off the island. <laughs> uh, so that's one that's one book. Um, you know, there's a number of books by this author, but I will I will stick with uh, Slaughterhouse Five by Kurt Vonnegut. You know, a number of books I always found interesting, extremely quirky, and really enjoy his writing. And and, and Slaughterhouse Five, which is actually not a very long book, but is one that I, I gravitated towards and and really enjoyed. Uh, reading, and then let's see a third book. I'm gonna turn around and look at my bookshelf and see if I can <laughs> be informed uh, by any of the writers that are there. Uh, yes, and a toss-up. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with uh, "Things Fall Apart" by Chinua Achebe. Well, actually, no, no, no. Sorry, I I, I retract that statement. I'm gonna go with <laughs> "No Longer at Ease" by Chinua Achebe.
0: Okay. Good. At least it's still Chinua. Actually, but when yes. you retracted it, I was worried. Yes. Yes. No, no, no. We're not changing it. the author. You know, and it's very interesting the reason why, because I think
1: you know many people read uh, "Things Fall Apart," and for a number of people, that's maybe their only introduction, or at least their touch point to to Igbo culture and, and 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 the old vestiges of, of Igbo culture in particular. I think that uh, "No Longer at Ease" actually is. A more clear bridge to the writing, the modern writing styles and modern experiences that you see represented by authors like uh, uh, Chimamanda, uh, you know, Dichie. Like her, like her writing is sort of the modern uh, yeah. take, and especially with the introduction and more focus on women. But the the more modern take on that, you know, that that tension and that duality of now presenting. As you know, the educated uh Igbo person or the educated Nigerian or the educated African, right? Oh, yeah. That's been influenced by European culture uh in a very specific way, and having to sort of navigate you know different worlds and different experiences. Uh, and I've always resonated with that book in, in, in a very nuanced way. I think being a first-generation American. Uh, a Nigerian-American of Nigerian heritage, of Igbo heritage, um, and in really having that tension of, you know, where do you belong in the world? Uh, and so, No Longer at Ease always spoke to that uh, in a very, very specific uh, and cogent way. And of course, Chini Machebe is, is one of the, the great treasures uh, in, in, uh, in all of, of literature, let alone uh, African, Nigerian, and Igbo literature.
0: On your music playlist, you are allowed three tracks. What would you put on that playlist? Okay. Or if it's too hard to say the tracks, the artists that you would like.
1: Oh, I, okay. You know what? Awesome. Because if I get <laughs> artists, I get, I get, I have a lot more leeway with artists yeah. than I do with <laughs> um, with having to pick specific tracks. So, and this is actually going to be pretty easy from my standpoint. So, uh, we're going to need Outcast
0: yes very yeah.
1: good choice yeah so and and i don't have to pick a track and this this is awesome so we can get the whole we can get the whole outcast catalog
0: <laughs> now, what's your favorite Outcast track there Just sounds of interest uh, my favorite outcast song
1: uh is liberation um and it is by a hair it is by a hair my favorite outcast track just just above spody dopolicious, dopalicious which is also on equipment then second secondly uh, the, the you know I would have to make sure I had Nas Nasir Jones, um, who to me is the greatest rapper of all time. You know, a lyricist of of the highest order, uh, and, and was able to, and, and and still able to to pen you know wordscapes and scenes that really you know touch on you know street life, but also a, a lot of really important realities. Uh, that he's lived through and that he's seen and that he's, you know, been able to to share with his audiences from a very young age, uh, and is still putting out, you know, great work. And I have one, more, I have one more choice. So yeah. let's see. And this one's a little tougher. This one's a little tougher because I got to pick between two very, very disparate disparate experiences and genres. But I'm gonna stick with my gut, also because I spent a bunch of money recently uh, in, in, in procuring these albums, uh, there's still, there are actually vinyl records that have not shown up yet. That's another matter. Uh,
0: Shade <laughs> We're gonna, right. we're gonna go with
1: Sade. I, I recently, uh, purchased, uh, all six vinyl albums from, uh, from, from, from Sade. I'm still waiting for, for, for these records to show up, <laughs> uh, which is fine also because I, I, I need to purchase a record player. I don't, I don't, I don't have a record, I don't have a vinyl <laughs> record player, but I, I was, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm enthralled. I'm excited to 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 have these uh, to have these records because they, you know, uh, I I think you know Shadé, the person, the artist, the singer, the band presents a lot of uh, moodscapes, and and so it's like R&B, but it's even more than that. It's just mm. it's, mu- it's music that, you know, I think that it, you know, depending on 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 how I'm feeling on, on this. Uh, on, on this on this desert island, I I would I would like to have you know songs from Shadé to to help me get by on those especially those tough days those tough days on the island.
0: I like that combination a trio of Outcasts Nas and Shadé, great choices. So what is hashtag igwe?
1: So hashtag igwe, very simply is I like to use a lot of hashtags you know, I, I I really, I'm trying to think of who is the first person to, to, to just mention something or just start calling me Igwe or, 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 or if it was just something I just, I just adopted, but I was just like, Hey, I like to use hashtags and I use a bunch of hashtags. And then I would just add the last hashtag hashtag Igwe. Like I'm like, I'm looking I'm the, I'm the king who, the prince, the king who uses hashtags and it, it germinated from there. And so when I decided to uh, create an LLC uh, for my my, po- my my poetry and for for my writing and, and, and speaking engagements, it it just felt like that was the great that was a great name to, to 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 utilize, and you know, it, it was something that was uniquely mine.
0: During this pandemic and the lockdown, uh, you started a, a hashtag called Corona Chronicles. How did that come about?
1: I'm trying to remember. It was. March 14th, March 13th, we were in the office, they called us into a meeting room and said, just given the concerns around, the growing concerns around COVID, we're gonna ask people to start working from home. And, you know, I, you know, I live in in New Jersey, I live in Jersey city and I was commuting into the city. Uh, Anybody who knows the commuting, particularly in the Northeast corridor into New York, you know, there's a lot of different people that come into the city and and traffic through the city day to day, you know, rich, poor, different. Many people are, are riding the train. Uh, it is the most efficient way to move around. And as a result, you just have many, many touch points with many people that you do not know at all. And and a, and a, a virus like COVID, um, you know, that we were getting to know and really still getting to know, you know, there's just, it just created a lot of uncertainty. And so, you know, from that very, that very first day, you know, I just started writing down some thoughts and sharing them on social media. I think it was more of a, uh, of an involuntary thing on my part to begin with. I just said, you know, I'm going to use a hashtag to track this. And so I just called it the Corona Chronicles and, and I would, you know, share messages on, you know, not every day, but I would tag which day I was Along the sort of uh, home quarantine uh, isolation journey, and would you know, you know, when I put the message out, you know, it was part of the Corona Chronicles series. Uh, it it just sort of it it started as just you know something I was doing, and then a number of people started reaching out to me and would say stuff like, "Hey, when's the next Corona Chronicles gonna come out?" Or, you know, I really like what you're doing. I'm really interested in hearing and seeing more. I'd love to support this. And it was just something I was, again, just doing because I felt I, I, I had a comfort level in it. And then I, you know, over time it actually grew into something where I was like, okay, well, you know, I should really think about what is it that I can do with this series. Um, you know, you know, is this, you know, what you know, you know, what do I have here? And you know, given some prior writing and and information I had, I was able to put this all together, you know, the the book that I I put out and published in in September of of last year.
0: Yes, and that book is Memories of the Future, which I think is just a fantastic name. I love it. What or who is your inspiration for this work? Me.
1: (laughs) Uh, And the reason why I say that is, is because... Even when I first envisioned, and I actually first envisioned writing this book back in 2005 or six, my hope was always to make the book more personal.
0: Mm.
1: And, and in doing so, to tap into some truths that I felt were going be um, were going to resonate more with people. And so I wanted to make sure that I tried to frame myself more in the writing, you know, and for a number of reasons, I actually went away from writing the book. And then in the midst of this Corona Chronicles and, and that I was doing, you know, a lot of the writing I was doing at first and the things I was sharing were observational at first, you know, and I think that's how we all felt about being in this pandemic COVID environment. We were just watching what's going on around us and just commenting on the things that were going around us. I think... Many people had the thought that, okay, this will pass very quickly, our government or whomever is going to get a handle on this, and we'll get to go back to life as it was. And then after some bit of time, I don't know, everybody, I'm sure it was different for them, whether it was some weeks or some months, you start to realize, okay, no, this is very different. And then you know, you're just in a state of trying to come to terms and understanding what's going on um, and then, you know, you try to find that way forward. How do I operate? What's, you know, what does a new world, it what is, what is, you know, what's this new environment gonna look like if this thing is here forever? Or even even still, even if it goes away, because now it is ingrained in our thought that something like this can happen. Um, and then I think on top of it, you had the greater challenges that were presenting um, that were particularly impacting Black people and communities of color in terms of healthcare disparities that were being seen in terms of outcomes related to COVID. um, Disparities that were being seen in terms of employment where black and brown people were losing their jobs at much higher rates, were already in jobs that were going to be more susceptible to being lost in in an environment where we couldn't interact with each other uh, as well. Um, Living in homes that were more cramped, and thus, you know, creating environments where a virus like this could spread and impact people more and more negatively. Um, And then you had, you know, social and racial uh, uh, injustices that were happening uh, at the same time. You know, obviously the the, the flashpoint of of the murder of George Floyd, uh, Breonna Taylor, and, you know, a litany of other things that were happening. I think everybody was at home realizing that you know we're we're in a place of reckoning. So we need to not only do we need to understand a new reality as it relates to um uh COVID, but I think you know people understanding need a new reality as it relates to you know how we navigate and appreciate each other in this world. Um and so you know I, I started invoking a lot of that through my own prism. Uh, in, the, in, in the writing, and, and one of the things, and this is something one of my cousins had mentioned when I put together the manuscript initially, was that um, you know, I touched on a number of things that in, in his mind uh, actually aligned quite a bit with some writing that I had done you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years ago that, that I wanted to incorporate in, in, in my next published work. And so it was very interesting that even though um, you know the book that I put out is specifically grounded in the moment of of a pandemic global pandemic and you can tell because there are specific references to us being in this state you know in the way that I've introduced other ideas that I've spoken about previously and written about you know, some time ago, and also thinking about what the future looks like, previously as well as now, that there is, you know, something that that is, you know, bigger than just, you know, where we were. So, um, you know, it, the succinct way I would put it is that, you know, the, it, you know, I, I presented a book that is, that is in a in a moment, but it's not of that moment.
0: And one poem in the book, which I love because it is so raw and heartfelt, is called untitled love poem number two. Can you read this for us?
1: Uh, sure. Once, you asked me to write you poetry, blind to the fact that ever since we've met, I've been searching for the words to fill my way through the labyrinth I called us. So I started to pen words for you that would sink like infants at the crack of life. Figured that if my tenor and diction scaled to the peak of Everest, carved your pain into my history like palm prints that you couldn't help but be swayed by the willpower of my convictions. I even attempted to sketch you a bow that would reach into the vortex of your stairs and pluck carnations from the brown-tinted glint of your left iris, but I had to restrain myself. You see, poetry doesn't manifest itself to reality. Poems are born through temptations and yearnings, green like nascent gardens, sprouting from ideas planted in heartbeats and nurtured with hope and conjecture. So today, there will be no poetry for you. Instead, there was only the broken silence I kept buried in my throat for eight years, along with the warped sound of your name etched into my retinas, and the look of courage I finally found to let the truth unravel from my tongue. Once there was a time when I would have stretched my possibilities for you like a parabola searching for heaven, a time when your footfalls could force my stomach to stutter step and pause like a lunar eclipse. Once there was a time your eyes shone like supernovae and when you blinked, I burst into galaxies and scrambled to pick the sunspots from my visions like daydreams. There was a time when your face used to make my cheeks refract like prisms, begging me to embrace your waist with my laughter. Echoing in the hollows of thunderclaps, a time when I would have flown halfway across from my mind to watch your essence twitch over my synapses and play tag with my memories. But today, there will be no poetry for you. Today, I realize that a person can only lie to his conscience for so much. I understand that a maze must have a finish line and see that in my imagination cannot cultivate a garden the way sunlight and water do. So today is the last day I will torture myself by breathing in the scent of your hair and dancing on the reflection of your eyes. Today is the last day I will wander the desert endlessly for you because there are only so many moments I can suffer the surreal to resurrect myself from scorched earth bearing the burden of sand-soaked lips in the belief that one day you'll be ready to cry me an oasis. Today, I must revoke your involuntary overtures. I will no longer be fooled by your touch, and I am burning the last threads of the bridge between my soul and your kiss. Today, I offer you only a goodbye and my apologies because today there will be no poetry for you. I don't think I could ever find the right words.
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much for reading that. When I read the poems myself, it's very different from having the author read it out loud. So thank you, I <laughs> appreciate that. You know
1: that that actually, and, and again, just sort of some of the a little context, and, and that is in the book. That is a poem I, I've written. Uh, I did not write in this era, um, but you know there are so many things about that poem that I've always, you know, held onto, and so I, I think it still speaks to a moment that's. Just as prescient and just as urgent, uh, you know. Even though it was written by me um, a while ago, and of course, you know, you know, from a different, you know, it, you know, different experiences, you know, and and, and uh, influenced, you know, that writing. But it, you know, it still represents uh, something I'm, that I'm very very proud of, and 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 I'm so happy that that you uh, enjoyed that poem
0: as well. Let's switch gears and talk about Wall Street. So, in addition to your writing, as I mentioned earlier. You are currently a vice president at a major Wall Street bank. What is the greatest challenge you think that black and minority individuals face as they try to enter this super competitive industry, but also as they try to progress and get promoted in this industry?
1: Well, I think one of the challenges that we face um, is understanding how to navigate the culture of a large banking institution, how to understand that, you know, um hard work alone is not it often is not the differentiator. You know, a lot of people are very are very driven, very purposeful in their work, uh, engage. But I think what you need to do, um and, and I think people are doing it more, but you know, I, I think what, what needs to happen is people need to understand that you know, you need advocates. That's the one of the most critical things that I would say for any person at any, at any stage in their career is to understand uh, who their advocates are and to make sure that, they, that there's continual communication with and alignment with those advocates. Um, you know, people who are gonna champion your career uh, and, and, and provide you honest feedback opportunities where they see that you can grow, whether it's just in terms of your immediate role Another opportunity, you know, other opportunities that can present themselves to say, "Hey, this is something you can add to your toolkit. This is another role that will give you more exposure uh, to people who are senior, who are going to see your worth, your work ethic, and, and see the value that you're bringing to the organization." Um, and also to understand, you know, I, I think one of the things that's important and something I've, I've experienced in my own career is not just to look for advocates and um, and and to have them, but also to understand within, you know, uh, you know, where you are in, in in your career, where you are in whichever role you're in, you know, if that advocacy happens to be waning, you know, to, to be able to, to have a, a clear eyed view that that is something that, that can potentially negatively impact your, your progression and where you want to go. And also to make sure that you are then, Finding a way to realign yourself with people who are going to serve as your advocates for your career, or being able to, to to make a transition before you have a negative event that that sort of derails you, or or people may try to label who who you are and what your contributions are to their organization or any organization. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've been through a lot of different experiences. You know where I just didn't necessarily have a, that voice or that clarity that I needed to have those advocates in place, and what to do when I didn't have them to make sure that I was in a position where I could be uh, proactive and not reactive to the circumstances that were around me. Because we don't have as many of us present uh, in these spaces, there's not as many, you know, black faces. Uh, you know, in you know, in in roles and in leadership positions, you know, sometimes people are looking. You know, they identify with some folks. Maybe they look at them. Maybe they can see their younger self in that person, mm-hmm. and so maybe they're looking out for those people. You know, more readily, right? And it's not to say that you need a, a a a black advocate to for you to advance in your career. I think you need to be very clear on who those advocates are that are going to support you. Um, and just make sure that, again, that you keep them, you know, you you keep your alignment. And I think also there's a responsibility for black folks who are in a position. Again, I said, it's not necessary that you need to be, that you need to have a black advocate, but I think that it is very important for black folks who are in these positions, who have some measure of, of equity within their firms you know, to try and help position and support that those younger talent, you know, black folks, other folks of color.
0: Great, well, thank you for that. I definitely agree with you there. Talent and competence in your actual role is not just what it takes. You need advocacy and you need sponsorship within your organization. So that's great pieces of advice that you've included there for us. Just before we wrap up, I'm going to end with another hypothetical question. You have, um, you're holding or hosting a dream dinner party and you, it's at your home and you can invite three guests, living or deceased. Who Impressive. would these guests be?
1: Three, three guests. Yes. Living and deceased. So first one uh, on my list of guests would be Nnamdi uh, Azikiwe. Uh, I'd be very interested as one of the 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 forefathers of modern Nigeria uh, to get his take on current Nigeria. <laughs> I would love I would love to hear from, you know from him and, and, and see you know what he thought would be some some ways that you know, in the context of all of Nigeria, maybe even you know Iboland, like what are some things that we should be doing or thinking about uh, to make a better way and chart, and chart a way forward? I think from a from a social standpoint, I would love to have uh, I had to think about this. There were a couple of people who are who, who were on the list, but I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna stick I'm gonna stick with, with the, the person who who jumped in my head first. Richard Pryor was one of the great comedians, uh, arguably the greatest comedian, uh stand-up comedian uh, in, in history. You know, and now we can sort of make the argument whether it's him or 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 Dave Chappelle who who uh, who who sort of holds that crown. But uh, you know, he was uninhibited, and you know he he told it like it was. He's you know you know crazy stories, a lot of different experiences, positive and negative. But he was never afraid to share uh, his life on stage, and left an indelible legacy uh, that all stand-up comedians. Um, you know, adhere to, and, and I, I've always had a, 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 an interest in stand-up comedy, and so I would love to, to, to hear and speak to someone who I'm sure would have, you know, an incredible amount to, to say um, and, and, uh, and, and, and bring to bear, um, and I think another person, and it's going to be a little bit of a toss-up, uh, I would say my, uh, my grandmother on my mom's side. Um, Cause I never got to meet her, I would love to, to, to have a chance to, to sit with her and, and hear about like my mom growing up as a kid, um you know, and, 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 uh, you know, her take and just kind of see, um, her influence uh, as, as it's shown through and, 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 my mom's side of the family and, and through my mom. Yeah, I also, I also didn't get to meet my, uh, my paternal grandfather. Uh, as well he, he but he, he passed away when my uh, when my dad was, was was still very young um so you know he, he'd he be he'd also be someone i, I I'd, I'd like to invite to dinner if I if i had an extra chair
0: yeah <laughs> i'm sure you'd be able to fantastic well thank you for joining us today on the ebopedia podcast your latest book as mentioned is called memories of the future and this was released last year where can listeners go to find out more about your book where can they buy the book and where can they get in touch with you via social media
1: certainly so if folks are interested in the book memories of the future um, they can visit my website www.hashtagigwe.com um you can also connect with me on social media my uh, personal uh, Instagram handle is uh, at R-S-B, the goat. And I also have an Instagram handle for poetry uh, at hashtag Igwe. Fantastic. Um, so, uh, you know, those are ways that you can connect with me on, uh, you know, as it relates to the, to the book and learn more about speaking engagements or just, you know, thoughts that I have to share on, on various matters, things that are going on uh in the world um uh things that are happening in my family or things you know know, things on on the charity front and i guess as it relates to uh charity um uh the nigerian healthcare foundation i'm very active uh in supporting um we have our website which is www.nhfinc.org for nigerian nhf for nigerian healthcare foundation so nhfinc.org uh, and we also have our social media page, which is at nhf underscore uh, Inc. So that's uh, how folks can connect with the, the, the foundation uh, online as well.
0: Perfect. Well, thanks again for joining us. really enjoyed this conversation and I look forward to reading more of your poetry and looking at more of your hashtags in the future.
1: Well, thank you. And uh, Chisama, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, it is, uh, it's been a pleasure to, to meet you and to talk with you. Uh, it's been a pleasure to engage with you, engage with your audience. And I'm really excited for uh, uh, what's to come. Thanks.